0: I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Seems like we were just here a couple of days ago. It was hot. And we were talking about a lot of the same things. Am I am I imagining that or were we just here? How was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? I hope you did. Um, what did you do? I I, I um actually did something a little out of the ordinary for me. Usually my weekends are so boring, I don't even mention them. I don't even talk about them. All the other guys have stories to tell. They were in their pool. They rode their motorcycle. They went places. I usually don't go anywhere, but I did go to the movies. I went to see Oppenheimer. Um, have you seen Oppenheimer? We've got to talk about this. And we will. We're going to get to a lot of things here. Um, I'm going to ask you a question about Biden and about the 2024 election. L- let me just set it up with a few items. Uh, It broke over the weekend that an FBI agent has told uh, the uh, Comer Committee in Congress. No, Comey. Comer. Yeah, Comey was the FBI guy. Comer's the congressman. Has told the Comer Committee that during the transition from Trump to Biden, they wanted to interview Hunter Biden as part of their investigation. The Hunter Biden investigation began like in 2018. And they let the Biden team know they wanted to interview Hunter. That tip off resulted in the interview never taking place. And I'm not sure how that works, but they're saying now that 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 was a courtesy that should not have been shown Uh, the Bidens. This guy testified uh, along with the whistleblowers and we've been talking about that testimony. Tipping off the transition team and not being able to interview Hunter Biden are just a couple of examples that reveal the Justice Department's misconduct in the Biden criminal investigation that occurred under U.S. Attorney David Weiss's watch. says House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer to Fox News Digital. Of course, the big story on Friday was that uh, Weiss has been designated the special counsel. I actually learned after the show on Friday, I did not know this during the show I would have told you, the special counsel law actually says you can't be a, uh, an employee of the government to be a special counsel. I mean, it kind of makes sense. You're, the purpose of the special counsel is you're going outside normal channels so that person can't already be in the, the mix. We're just doing this like it doesn't matter, the law doesn't matter, the rules don't matter. Um, There was a real focus on the Sunday shows uh, I noticed where the the media are attempting to coach leading Democrats into separating Hunter from Joe. Like, we're not defending the whole Klan anymore. We're defending Joe, but Hunter might not be uh, a very good uh, person. Uh, This is uh, CNN's Jake Tapper with uh, New York Democratic Congressman Dan Goldman, who's been a big-time, like, proxy for the Bidens. He's the, he's the one that came out all during the uh, whistleblower and the uh, Devin Archer testimony and said, oh, there's nothing here, This is no, we, we're not learning anything new. Uh, so Jay Tapper asks um, Congressman Goldman um, about whether Joe Biden needs to stop saying, my son Hunter did nothing wrong. Listen to this
1: my son's done nothing wrong i trust him i have faith in him understand this is a dad talking about his son but it's also the president of the united states talking about a potential defendant in a case that his justice department is prosecuting also he was about to plead guilty to some things that he did wrong does the president need to stop publicly saying his son did nothing wrong
2: well, look, I think the president has been very clear that he's going to let the process play out. Um, what we do know is that through all of the investigations in Congress, uh, th- there are, they're simply investigating a private citizen. Hunter Biden is not running for president, and Joe Biden is running for president, and, yet, and he is the president, and yet notwithstanding all of the time effort and all of the moving goalposts, there's no evidence connecting President Biden to any of his son's business dealings, mm. and mm. you can you know you can sing all you want and make all sorts of accusations, but the fact of the matter is that President Biden, uh, there's been no evidence to show that he's been involved in anything, and so Hunter Biden will be treated by the Department of Justice as he should be. But Congress <laughs> needs to stop investigating a private citizen. Oh and uh, stop this fishing expedition to try right. to link President Biden to Hunter Biden's conduct when there is no so evidence to support what's that. What's
0: interesting about that first of all, if I was Hunter Biden, I'd start to be a little nervous because it sounds like they're starting to break up the, the band. Uh, the defense is no longer of the Biden family. We're not hearing terms like first family. He, he's basically right now on his way to being the um, Prince Harry of the Biden family, yeah, you're you're genetically related to us, but we're done with you. You know, we're stripping you of your titles, and uh, we're 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 putting you in kind of uh, you know timeout. So they're they're now saying, "Hey, he, he, Hunter, who? I mean, private citizen? We don't, you know." And then he had, um, let's see, this was um, ABC. They had Jamie Raskin on, the Maryland congressman. And he's now saying, well, Hunter did some stuff, but that doesn't mean Joe did it. Listen to this, cut number seven.
2: But they've not laid a glove on Joe Biden. As president, they haven't been able to show any criminal corruption on his part. What they've got is Hunter Biden, and we all seem clear that this guy was addicted to drugs and did a lot of really unlawful and wrong things. And we have said, let the justice system run its course. They're not saying that about Donald Trump. Anytime Donald Trump actually gets indicted after a grand jury has already determined that there's probable they cause to the, the prosecutors. They, they, attack attack the the prosecutors they attack the prosecutors. They attack the judges. Right. They attack the <laughs> system. <laughs> For them, Donald the Trump... The
0: reporter, Jonathan speech. Carl's helping him with the answer. He's like prompting him. He's like that guy in the stage, little, the little uh, pop-up uh, box at the bottom of the stage, prompting the actors on his lines. Um, so you got that. All right, so Goldman is saying, hey, it's not not the father... Uh, they can't link they they've got nothing on the father and, and and raskin is saying you know it does look like hunter biden has done some really unlawful and wrong uh things and what what i what i find interesting here is let's let's define terms okay there is no hunter biden business hunter biden doesn't have a business he's not a businessman it's insulting to use the word business, okay. If you if you start a business, you put your money into it. You take risks. You take loans. You you mortgage your house. You have sleepless nights. Did I do the wrong thing? You quit your job. You you maybe um, you know, you 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 maybe fail a few times before you succeed. If you succeed, you make something or you provide a service. And the only way you succeed in that business is if what you make or the service you provide has value, is appreciated by other people. If it isn't and it doesn't, you don't make it. That's business. I know business, you know business. There's no business here. It's an insult to people that actually build businesses. This guy traded on his family name and then was the bag man for the family's corruption. And if you know anything about bag men, they don't keep all the money. The you watch the mafia movies, the bagman goes around and collects. He doesn't keep the money. It doesn't it isn't that 10% goes to the big guy. Most of it goes to the big guy. So whatever Hunter has made on his business, believe me, the Bidens are getting most of it. And this idea that they didn't know he was doing it. This idea that they had no idea, this, this, this concept that that he did this for years and they were unaware, he's on Air Force Two with his dad. And you know what they did to trick people? Because early in the, in the Obama administration, when reporters were still actually doing their job, people would ask, why is Hunter... On the trip with Vice President Biden to Beijing or to this place or that place. So you know what they did? They started having Hunter get off the plane separately. He just got off at a different time. Uh, from So when, when the Vice President would make his ceremonial, here I am waving to the crowd, you know, camera bulbs popping, Hunter wouldn't be in that shot. But he was still on the plane. The records are clear. The public records are clear. He still was on all these trips. And basically, you know Hunter Biden. Because we all know someone who got his job because of his daddy. We all know someone who has the job he has, who has the position he has, who has the success he has, because his daddy was famous, because his daddy did it or had a job in that industry or, or just was so popular that it opened doors. I, I have nothing against guys, and there are a lot of guys in my business that get their job because of their daddy, and that's the only reason they're in it. I have nothing against that. Okay, because I, I know that if I was in the shoes of that person, what am I gonna do? Change my name and, and pretend I don't know my father or or turn my back on all those little advantages? No, I mean you're gonna take them. That's fine. I, I don't ask you to pretend or or resign from those advantages. Just have a little grace, right? Just have a little have a little humility about it, have a little grace about it. And it's fine. I've seen a lot of people inherit their father's business, inherit their father's position in a particular industry, and because they did it with grace, people are fine with it. Most people are fine with it. I'm not asking Hunter Biden to change his name to Hunter Smith, but have a little grace. You didn't have to do deals with the worst people on earth. You didn't have to sell out your country. You didn't have to live like you were one of the last Roman emperors. And so we all know people like this. Uh, do you remember a guy named Scott Brown? Does that name ring a bell at all? Do you remember Scott Brown? Go back to when this is about fourteen, fifteen years ago. Ted Kennedy died in office. He was the senator from Massachusetts. He passes away. He had, had a, I think, he had cancer. He had a very long illness. He, he dies in office. They they hold a special election to fill his vacancy in Massachusetts. And miracle of miracles a republican wins that special election in a very democratic state and it's Scott Brown this uh guy that he was a state senator or a state rep so he he for a short time is in the is in the senate this is like 2009 i think 2010 so Scott Brown and his wife Gail who was a television anchor in Boston beautiful lady um, they go to, in for the for the swearing ceremony with the President of the Senate, who is the Vice President, who is Joe Biden, and they have this ceremonial thing where you, you you've seen the pictures right the 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 Senator takes the oath, and the husband or wife stands in the middle, holds the Bible, they all pose for pictures. Scott Brown went on a radio show uh over the weekend and said that um he and he said he prefaced it by saying, "I like joe biden but but Joe biden was was all handsy with Gail, Gail Huff, that um, he was so inappropriate in his actions that he claims, he told Biden, I will kick the bleep out of you. (laughs) He didn't act the way I thought he should, he tells the interviewer, and we called him on it. This was in 2010. And there are photographs of uh, his wife looking pretty um, uncomfortable around uh, Joe. So here is what I'm leading up to. Here's the question I'm I'm leading up to. There is a lot of evidence that Joe Biden is not a good person. A really bad person. This family has been corrupt. They they they're bad people. We may be looking at the most corrupt presidency we've ever had. It's hard to say, right, we have a long history, we don't, I'm certainly not an expert on all the other presidents, but this is up there. Should the Republicans run on what kind of a person Biden is? Or should the Republicans run on his bad policies? Remember, the goal is to win the election, not to make a point. And the goal is to appeal to people who are not doing well, who are unhappy, miserable, hurting, uh, not making it month to month um, and to show them it doesn't have to be like this. We can we can turn this thing around, we can do better. It's to say to people that have lost their confidence or their spirit or feel like America's best days are behind it that the the, the purpose of the Republican campaign and whoever their candidate is, is to give those people some hope. Is the best way to do that to talk policy or to talk about what a bad person Biden is. And I know you're gonna do both. I'm not saying you could only do one or the other. But which is more important to do if the Republican candidate is going to beat Joe Biden next year? What What do you think about that? I started thinking about this today. Um, and let me play this clip of Ron DeSantis because this is actually what triggered my, my question. Um, I'm going to ask you a question about Joe Biden and how you run against him and how you beat him. So this is Ron DeSantis at the Iowa State Fair, and it's a good clip. I mean, DeSantis is in, is in good form here. He gets on a little rant uh, about uh, Joe Biden and family. And cut number three, Don, play cut number three.
2: They want to reduce the role of parents and so that they can impose their agenda. That's why Biden says things like they're not your kids, quote, they're all of our kids? No, they're not your kids, Joe. I'm sorry. And it also took you four and a half years to even acknowledge your own granddaughter in Arkansas. I'm sorry. That's just the truth.
0: It's a good line. Um, you know how I feel. I've said this many times. I, I, don't have, I don't have a candidate yet, but I definitely want to beat Biden and stop this. And I want the most conservative electable or the most electable conservative uh, person to be the Republican nominee. I'm not a Republican, but I'll vote in the Republican primary for that whoever I think is the most electable uh, conservative. Uh, this has to stop. It needs to be a winner, period. I'm not interested in giving out a participation trophy or a, a ribbon to the the best conservative. Who's the most electable conservative? That's, that's going to be my vote. Do you beat Biden by talking about what a bad person he is, or do you beat Biden by talking about how bad these policies are? And you're gonna do both, just like you know all all campaigns do both. All campaigns are a, a mishmash of personal stuff and policy stuff. I think it's very, very important. I think, this is how I would answer my question, it's very important to focus on the policies. You, you don't have enough money at the end of the month, why is that? Groceries are too expensive, why is that? Gas is ridiculous, why is that? Talk about cause and effect talk about what can be done what you can do what you will do it it's you know the way campaigns that win win is that old song happy days are here again you know it, you 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 tell people help is on the way relief is on the way you're not going to win by telling people hey um january come january 2025 we'll be a better person a more upstanding person in the White House, I have seen so many campaigns go down in flames uh, doing that. That's how Bob Dole ran against Bill Clinton in ninety six He's a war hero He's a much better man than Bill Clinton. everybody agreed <laughs> even the Democrats I knew that were voting for Clinton agreed yeah bob dole he's a good man as a war hero john McCain good. yeah, I mean you know, come on, who could do but that that didn't that did not move the needle, and it's not going to. And if you nominate Trump, you don't really have that argument anyway. So I, I would say policy, 80% of it. How how am I going to help? What am I going to do? Yes, they're terrible people. Yeah, they're corrupt. Yes, they're awful. And we're going to investigate the hell out of them. And um we're going to we're going to do it not as payback, but because we can't. This has got to stop. By the way, we're going to investigate all the senators that should have sponsorship patches on their sleeves. And we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna be havoc. But the main thing we're gonna do is we're gonna have better a better economy. Uh we're gonna stop getting your sons and daughters killed, withdrawing from places like Afghanistan. We're not gonna send them to fight in Ukraine. We're gonna have a, a foreign policy that is cent America-centric. We're not um Interested in being popular with other countries, we're interested in being respected by them. Stuff like that. You, you've got to, you've got to show people that it can get better. Because if they don't think it can get better, if they don't, th- if they think it's it's so bad that it won't even matter, then Biden just gets in on that sort of wave of pessimism. You're like, uh, well, this country's gone to hell. You know, we're in a, we're in a cesspool. They're all crooks. They're counting on that. The, the the Biden team is counting on you not having very high expectations. Y- you've got to see this the way Trump sees it, the way Reagan saw it, the way FDR saw it. This could be so much better, and I know how to do it. Well, how would you answer that? 210-599-5555. Is it more important to run against bad policies, or is it more important to run against what a bad person this president is? These are bad people. How would you, what what would be the ratio, what would be the mix on that? 210 599 55. The uh, wildfires in Hawaii have become like a mass shooting story, have you noticed that? The staking out of partisan ground over what is a natural disaster not a mass shooting looks just like the way we stake out ground around a mass shooting oh we know exactly who to blame we know exactly which party to blame we're gonna talk about that uh and what's being what's coming out of that whole thing we we kind of you may remember thursday and friday we talked about how this is probably going to go down the road of being uh a global warming debate, and it has. Um, The governor of Hawaii, Josh Green, says global warming played a major role in the Maui wildfire, the death toll closing in on 100, destroying centuries-old communities. Green calling it a fire hurricane with gusting 80-mile-an-hour winds and a 1,000-degree heat, creating cyclones and uh, referring to it as a war zone that is completely destroyed. The pictures look horrible. Um, It might be the deadliest wildfire we've had in the United States in more than a century, they say. And they're not done, uh, they believe, finding victims. I mean, you look at it, they obviously haven't gone through even most of it yet there are lawyers so he's saying global warming which i think is like the equivalent of um right after there's a mass shooting we need more gun laws we need uh you know assault weapons ban uh when will when will the when will the republicans when will enough children have died you know that whole thing now we're doing that with wildfires uh there are lawyers who say and, and are already putting together cases and already have um plaintiffs, one of them is from Texas, Michael Watts, who are saying that the utility company uh may have caused the fire. A couple that owned a home in Lahaina is bringing a class action suit, targeting a company called Hawaii Electric Industries, that's the parent company of the local utilities, accuses the companies of ignoring weather warnings, keeping power lines energized despite the dangerous conditions, and because the power lines were energized when they came down in the wind, they're alleging that that sparked the fire. So. The the fire, the loss of life, the, the loss of property might have been human error. Not that, the, obviously, the weather happened, but then the response to the weather was not what it was supposed to be or what protocol said. There's also some scrutiny over whether or not a warning system worked. Because the first thing that happened in Maui were, were these... Um, high winds. It's the same thing we're worried about here. That's why we have the red flag warnings. I don't know what they call them there, but they, they are supposed to have an emergency system that activates outdoor sirens and that <clears throat> and that activates smartphone alerts. And it didn't, uh, people are saying it didn't happen. It didn't work. And when they got their alerts via like local media or things you had to sign up for, like opt-in alerts, which are different, uh, so for some people it was too late. They gave us no warning. No, nothing. Lisa Panis, resident of La Hyena, said in a phone interview, there were no sirens, there were no alarms, there was no nothing. And it was reported that Hawaii Electric did not cut power lines during dangerous winds. I don't know this but let me just throw this out there because it's a pattern we've seen many times. A politician or a government entity F's up and they know they've effed up and now you have either a, a burnt out community or you have a chemical train laying on its side spilling chemicals or you have whatever you have. The, the next thing they do Instead of standing up and taking responsibility, try not to laugh, I know, they start pointing fingers. So every time I see this, this Governor Green on television talking about global warming, first of all, I don't see a leader. He he should be so enmeshed in the suffering of his people that he, he is not thinking about the atmosphere. Uh, so you're, you're a hack, you're a hack if you can even focus on that at a time like this he must know some of the people that are dead it it's despicable but but here's the pattern instead of this being about the situation on the ground there's an opportunity to make a point here there's a crisis we don't want to let go to waste the whole country is seeing the the the, the you know the video it's it's striking it's Heartbreaking. It's sobering. Hmm. We can't blame guns that we know of. I mean, we'll hold on to that just in case maybe somebody fired a gun and started this fight. But but you know what? (sighs) Global warming. Global, what was it they called it at the UN? Global boiling. I saw an interesting thing. I was going to talk about this tomorrow, but... I'll just allude to it now. I saw an interesting article about. You know what sulfur dioxide is? You've heard of that, right? This article, and believe me, it was not as interesting as I'm about to make it sound, but this article said that we have greatly reduced sulfur dioxide emissions over the last 20 or 30 years because of restrictions on shipping that. Uh trans-oceanic shipping used to produce a lot of sulfur dioxide. It used to dump it into the atmosphere. And sulfur dioxide is also what is used for cloud seeding. So this article was speculating, not concluding, that maybe the reason it's hotter and drier is because we have less sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. Now sulfur dioxide does other things that are not good, but my point is, wouldn't it be interesting if we found out that the advocacy of one so-called green initiative has basically caused us to shoot ourselves in the foot? It's like Planet of the Apes, right? We did it to ourselves, remember that? We've done it to ourselves, we're our own worst enemy very interesting. I don't know if that's true. I'm going to I'm going to look more into it. I'm going to talk about it more tomorrow, but um basically the 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 theory is we took so much sulfur dioxide away that now we have hotter, drier weather. And and by the way, the people that caused that to happen aren't going to be regretting it or remorseful about it. They're probably if that's true, they're probably very happy about it because remember they're rooting for hotter, drier, arid drought. You know, crops failing. Right? They're rooting for all that. The only way they're going to break us is if we come to them on on our hands and knees, going, "Okay, all right, all right. You, you're right. We ruined the atmosphere. Tell us what to do. Tell us what we what we're allowed to eat. Tell us what we're allowed to have in our lives. We're sorry. I just don't trust these people at all. I I, I feel the the way I feel about the 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 climate crazies probably the way a lot of people feel about at this point about uh, Dr. Fauci. That the more we learn, the worse they look. And the more we learn, the less credible and trustworthy they are. That's really, that's the hallmark of our times. I know we've talked about this before. We are surrounded by entities and institutions People with titles who in previous times you could basically trust. Not that you would always agree with them, or even that they shared your politics or, or values, but if they were the expert in X, they said things about X that were essentially true, that were reliable, that were proven. Their you know, their moral compass more or less pointed north. And now we're surrounded by people, experts, institutions, people with titles, who y- you don't trust. I'm not even here to say whether you should or you shouldn't. You don't. We just don't trust them. We're never going to trust the next time there's a virus. We're not going to do what they told us to do last time. Or we're not going to do what they tell us to do with the same alacrity that we did before. Because <laughs> they completely lied. And, and they're admitting it and they're laughing about it. And they've, there's never been any reckoning about all the lies, the 15 days, the masks, the closing the schools. There's never been any reckoning of that. There's never been any bringing people out and making them confront their deeds. And it's the same thing with climate. The climate so-called debate, which isn't one, is, is premised on the same things. There's like flawed models people that have made uh, predictions that didn't come true, uh, heavily politically motivated uh, so-called scientists, egos and political views that, that are way outpacing the science or the facts as we know them. And so you feel for these people in Hawaii anyway, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's unimaginable. But then look what's going to happen. Their own governor (laughs) is trying to turn this into a a, a moment, an opportunity. You know what the job of a governor is in a moment like this? If anybody brings up global warming, he should swat it right out. Shut the F up and help these people. We need water. We need medicine. We need plasma. we We need relief workers. We need heavy equipment. We need to rebuild. But see, he's not a leader. He's a hack. So many of them are. I don't know if you heard the sports news this afternoon. Ezekiel Elliott has signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. It's intriguing. Um, It's not not a very big deal, and it's just one year, and obviously Zeke did not really catch on with a number of teams that took a look at him. Patriots do have kind of a thin running back room, so we will see. Ezekiel Elliott with the Patriots. We're going to talk about the movie Oppenheimer coming up next hour. If you've had a chance to see it, I'd like to Compare notes on that with you, I guess we're still doing this i I thought this was over, but- re- remember how when Trump ran the first time the the press acted like Trump voters were uh space aliens that or or they were trapped. remember they'd go to like they'd go to like uh red states and it'd be like they were in a foreign country they were trying to learn the local customs, trying really trying to understand these people. John King did a whole piece like this where he went to. I think it was Iowa or somewhere, Iowa, Idaho. See, I'm, even I'm doing it. One of the I states, John King went and, and mingled with Trump voters. And he did this, this I can't believe you're talking to me this way thing. You know, he's like, you really believe the election was stolen? Yes, we do. You you really believe? And they're, they're just, they're running through what, what they like about Trump. And he's just, he's never met anybody like this. He can't believe the grip. And that's the word he used. The, the Trump has a grip on these people. It's not like Trump voters make up their own mind and do their own thinking. No, he's he's got them. He, they're in his grip, according to John King. And then he comes back to the studio, and he has uh, his ex-wife Dana Bash is there, and she's asking him about his his field trip. Was it, what, what were they like? These people. Cut number twelve. Listen to this.
1: Our Sioux City Explorers fans. McGaffey though not scouting a new candidate. Do you think Donald Trump is an honest and trustworthy person?
3: Yes. Yes.
1: This is warm-up season. Five months until Iowa votes. Trump is an honest and trustworthy person?
3: Yes. Yes.
1: This is warm-up season. Five months until Iowa votes. Five months until Republicans divided over Trump so make a defining choice.
3: And John King is back in the Inside Politics studio. Fantastic piece, fantastic reporting. Mm. So much to unpack there. One of the things that um, struck so me unpack. first and foremost, obviously, was and it really in my gut and my heart, was just how seeped in. These completely um, conspiratorial questions and, and thoughts are in the zeitgeist, particularly. Hold on, when hold you're...
0: on, hold on. Oh, she's zeitgeist. She really is a woman of the people, that Dana Bash. Um, so these people are a mystery. I remember when you used to just cover, you know, voter, you cover Democratic voters, you cover Republican voters, we're talking to McGovern people, we're talking to Nixon people, we're talking to Carter people, we're talking to Reagan people. Now it's these, these people. And we had to, we had to go on a, on a, on a, like a, out into the, into the wilderness to, to find them and, and learn their ways. It's like he's Jane Goodall, you know? All right, Continue
3: particularly when you're talking to Republicans who consume conservative media who mm. don't tell them the mm-hmm. whole truth.
1: When you oh. hear the Ukraine exchange there, it's like watching the open of an old Tucker Carlson show. He's not there anymore, but that's <laughs> what it is. And these are busy people. These are hardworking people. Uh, there are too many Democrats who want to say they're deplorables or, you know, why oh. talk to these people? No. Uh, there are millions of them. Uh, this is a family that literally is, is an economic anchor in the community. The business started in the basement, employs 80 people. He the new can't solar company believe employs believe they're good
0: people. He talks about how they, they support the Curl Scouts, Dana, and yet they support Trump, and they're good people, and these are not bad people. It, it's, it's like we're getting benediction. Like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to America how you otherwise good people could be in the grip of this man, Trump. Anyways, I, I guess we're still doing this. I guess we'll never stop. This kind of uh, this kind of coverage. so It's like saying deplorable without saying deplorable. I even use the word, right? But they use it like in air quotes now. Who's seen Oppenheimer? Anybody seen Oppenheimer? Um, I'm not a big uh, go-to-the-movies guy anymore. I Used to be. Used to go all the time. Usually like to just wait and watch them at home now. But uh, I, I've been very eager to see this. Uh, and, of course, it's one of the two big, most talked-about movies of the summer, I guess, along with the Barbie movie, right? which I'm not going to see. So, um, My my top line on this is you should see it. Uh, Don Cooper just asked me, is it worth seeing in the movie theater or wait for it to stream at home? I think you could do either one. I didn't see it on an IMAX, and I guess it's incredible on the IMAX. I just saw it in a regular uh, movie theater. Um, I am a fidgety guy. It is hard for me to sit through a three-plus-hour thing. I only got up once and that was only because I'm a middle-aged guy and you know so it, it it holds your interest it holds your attention it's it's very well told it's um it's it's a bril- it's a brilliant movie it's like a very well done movie and then i think it's also a very interesting balanced treatment of the man who is at the center of it i had a couple of Pickups, I'll I'll get to in a minute, but it's the story of a scientist. Robert Oppenheimer was a scientist who became a leader of scientists. And so the the development of the first atomic bomb, the Manhattan Project, was obviously not just him. He's not the father of it. it. It took a lot of people. It took a lot of research. It took research that took place outside the aegis of the Manhattan Project. There were people that made their discoveries before they ever came to it, brought what they knew. Uh, it was driven by unprecedented amounts of money. The government had never thrown this much money at something all at once. And particularly, it's in, it's incredible to think of what they had to do to get all this money and put all this stuff together while we are also fighting the greatest, biggest most all-encompassing war anyone's ever seen. But the reason the Manhattan Project, the super-secret development of the atomic bomb in in Los Alamos was so important was because of that war. Because we knew that the the concept of an atomic bomb was known to our enemies, and not so much the Japanese, but the Germans had a very sophisticated, fast-moving developmental program. So we were not only trying to invent it uh, to have it, we were trying to invent it to have it before them. And Oppenheimer starts out, we, we when we're introduced to him in the movie, he's this brilliant but kind of, you know, eccentric guy who has a facility for leading people, for handling people. It doesn't seem like he would. He's very soft-spoken, He's very mercurial. He's kind of obsessive. The actor playing him, uh, Killian Murphy, is fantastic. He's just one of the best actors alive, and he was perfect for this. He looks like the guy. He's already a very skinny guy, and apparently he became even more emaciated for this role because the real the real Oppenheimer is this sort of death mask-looking, very thin uh, guy. He uh, has almost a haunted look on his face. Killian Murphy was great. The The cast is great. It's full of stars that knock it out of the park. You won't even recognize... I didn't even recognize Robert Downey Jr. for like the first 10 minutes that he's on screen. I didn't even know it was him. I knew he was in the movie, but I, he so disappears into the role he plays that you don't even know it's him. They've aged him a lot. So anyway, um, it is worth seeing, uh, and it's worth using... The movie, as it may be a jumping-off point, I would recommend the book. I, I'm a big fan of the book on which the movie is based. It's called American Prometheus. Uh, there's other books. Um, there, The two things I'll say on the negative side, the first, like, ten minutes of the movie, and I guess this is a Christopher Nolan thing, but the first ten or so minutes of the movie are just... I, I don't know what's going on. It's, like, very conceptual... Uh, I guess I guess we're supposed to be witnessing a nightmare that young Oppenheimer is having at the University of Cambridge. I I don't know. It's weird. I was I was starting to think, am I going to have to leave? (laughs) This this is so boring and stupid. It's just all special effects and flashing lights and squiggly lines. I don't really know. It, It 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 gets better. It gets very narrative. It becomes a it becomes a real uh, suspenseful story. So just get through the first 10 or 15 minutes. I promise you, if you will wait through 10 or 15 minutes, you'll you'll love it. And the other thing I will say is, and again, Christopher Nolan is a great director, and this is a masterful, I mean, this is going to be considered one of the classics in movies. But he is a gimmick guy, too. And there's a couple of gimmicks, I'm not going to say what they are, that he repeats in this movie, that are kind of for shock value, and I would have been all right if he did it once, but when he keeps doing it, you're like, come on, you don't need to do this, but maybe he thinks he does, I don't know. I know he's revered by the actors with whom he works, and um, overall, to be able to tell such a big story, and to depict, I mean, they depict, everybody's in this movie, you know, you're gonna see Einstein, you're gonna see Edward Teller, you're gonna see uh, Niels Bohr, you're gonna see all these different you know, military leaders. You're gonna see Henry Stimson and General Marshall and uh to get all that in to not dumb it down, to not create composite characters, to handle the all the physics and the science and make it understandable to us in the audience who are not versed in these things. I I think that's an achievement. And and Killian Murphy, I, I don't I don't see enough movies to know this, but it seems like he could win, you know, Academy Awards and stuff for this it's very it's very well done. I do think there's one scene, and I won't give it away uh, so now they've they've dropped the bomb, and the story becomes Oppenheimer's concerns about what will happen with atomic weapons and what have I done to the world, and I am the destroyer of war I am death, I am destroyer of worlds. He has a meeting with President Harry Truman. And I thought, well, this would be interesting, because I've always thought Truman made the single hardest decision an American president's ever made. I mean, find me a decision anyone ever had to make that was harder than, I'm going to drop this bomb that I don't really understand, that we've never seen before, that we don't exactly know what it will do. I think I have to do it. I know there's going to be tremendous loss of life but we've got to break the japanese government we've got to force them to surrender we've got to head off an invasion which would be incredibly catastrophic for the for the japanese and for the allies so he makes this decision so now he goes in it's after the war and oppenheimer goes into the oval office the depiction of truman i think is very unfair it's a very ugly brief scene that makes Harry Truman look like an a-hole, just a total loser. And it's, it's I'm, I don't think that's probably how that meeting went down, I don't know, but other than that, and a couple of gimmicks, great movie, I loved it, I recommend it. Uh, it feels like the kind of movie they should make more of. I always wonder why history is so full of incredible people, and, you know, sort of arcs and narratives. And that was one of the things I liked about Nolan. Nolan's the one that made Dunkirk. And Dunkirk is a similar kind of movie. He takes a specific period and, a, you know, amplifies it. Oppenheimer takes a period and amplifies it. So you, you, you're you there. He puts you there. It, I, if you saw it, tell me what you think. How are your impressions, the same or different? 210? Five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I'd love to hear that. Um, I've actually not had the chance yet to talk about this movie with anybody else who's uh, seen it, but I do recommend it. If you're if you're you know of the type to go to the movies, I would I would say see it. As kind of thinking about this, um, I saw Oppenheimer on Saturday uh, afternoon, and uh, we're talking about that one of the big movies that's out right now. This biopic or this historical account of the race to have the first atomic bomb. And um, at the same time that that I was uh, thinking about the movie, I was reading this piece about Dr. Fauci, and recently released records uh, show that Fauci and former NIH director Dr. Francis Collins uh, were cashing in hundreds of millions of dollars in royalty checks from the COVID-19 pandemic. This is going to be a scandal so big that people will have trouble getting their heads around it. But basically, over about a 12-year period leading up to and including the COVID years, uh, Fauci alone got three dozen or so uh, payments uh, on royalties from things he developed while working on government time and in government labs. It wasn't all related to COVID, but the idea that any of it would be is ballsy, to put it mildly. And there's only one guy in Washington trying to get them on this and it's Rand Paul. It tells you something that there should be a feeding frenzy, there should be journalists, right? trying to make a name for themselves, win a Pulitzer. Nobody's nobody's interested. And while he was making that money, people were suffering. There's a story that says uh, 49,500 people in the U.S. died by suicide last year. That is a record. That's the highest number ever. And the largest increase in suicides was... Older adults, meaning people um, in their 50s, 60s, and above, which are not the people normally who are committing suicide. And you can't say guns are the issue because these people have been around guns and have had access to guns all their lives. So we had the best economy. We had a job boom. Then we had the fauci led response to covid, and now we have people who advocated and and mandated lockdowns and vaccines pretending they didn't right this whole gaslighting thing oh we were never for that we didn't say that we didn't that wasn't us and i'm I'm thinking about the mendacity of like a Fauci or a Collins, and then like Robert Oppenheimer. Now, Robert Oppenheimer, in his youth, flirted with and probably gave money to and definitely went to parties attended by communists. He had an affair with a woman that was a communist in the movie that's depicted very tragically. He was a a lefty. I mean, he was a big-time lefty. These scientists are politically very liberal people. They are not in any way, however, unclear about who the bad guys are in the world. And over and over again in the in the movie, it, it references are made to, well, we all know that the Nazis cannot have this weapon. They cannot have it first. They cannot have it at all. In fact, they must be defeated before they get one of their own because while we will at least ponder, consider angst over using it, they will not. And so you had a a sort of greatness to these people that were not necessarily people you and I would agree with or be friends with or, you know, have over the... But they they had clarity about what they were doing and why it was important. And sure, there were other things. There was ego. They wanted to be the first. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to do what others had said couldn't be done. And Oppenheimer was their leader. Now, can you imagine today, if the government did something like this, it would be some, some politician that would be in charge of it. It would be some, you know, John Kerry or somebody would be in charge of it, right? I mean, it would be. This guy was soft-spoken, not physically impressive, didn't have a commanding presence. He was, um, and, he, and he struggled with, that. he was leading all these egos and all these people that, that not only thought they were smarter than him, but were in some cases smarter uh, than him. And what made him interesting to historians was not only his leadership of the Manhattan Project under General Groves, but also that he seemed to he visually represented the the moral dilemma of nuclear weapons you know it's funny i found myself thinking while i was watching this movie about ronald reagan because these were as i said these were people that had dabbled in or had been members of the communist party they were left lefties by the by the terms of their time. I don't know. Maybe today they wouldn't be so left, given the way the left has gone, but they were they were the lefties of their time. They were not pro-war people. They were not, you know, rah-rah military people. They despised, in some cases, and disrespected, in other cases, the military men with whom they had to work cheek-to-jowl at Los Alamos and Hanford and other places. But I was thinking about Reagan because Reagan got this reputation for being a warmonger and a you know, saber rattler, but he had the same haunted vision of nuclear weapons that Oppenheimer had. Oppenheimer is sort of one bookend of history, as he as he ushers in the nuclear age, and Reagan is the other bookend, who says we can't. Live with these sort of Damocles hanging over us. We can't live, and 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 have as our policy. And by the way, both parties for decades after World War II, their policy was, well, we'll just aim ours at them, and they'll aim theirs at, at us, and nobody will do it because it's a standoff, and we have to live like that. Well, that was Oppen- that was Oppenheimer's fear, and that was Reagan's nightmare. And he and he said, we can't we can't live like that. It's there's too much of a risk that a mistake will be made. So it's it's interesting how um the moral clarity was present in both these men. I don't think they ever met. I imagine they probably didn't. And if you think about what we're dealing with today, whether you think about COVID, whether you think about race relations, whether you think about what we're doing to our our, our economy. We don't have moral clarity. We have people with ideologies. We have people with party I- identity and you know, up with Trump, down with Trump, um red blue, we have left and right and and they're hard to define. They really are. And they don't meet the definitions they used to meet. Like what what's left today isn't what used to be left. What's right today is not what used to be right. But the the, the greatness of certain historical figures is that they could see through the clutter of the moment to what had to be done, and so as as um, conflicted as Oppenheimer was about what would happen with an atomic bomb, he pressed, you know, the accelerator to the floor. He had a lot of pressure. He had people on his back, but it's it's a it's an interesting time. It's an interesting story. It's, it's a set of qualities that hopefully we're going to be seeing again. Uh, Very soon. Not a moment too soon in this country. We kind of talk about everything that's going on in the world and in our lives, and you can always join in at 210-599-5555. We talked uh, a little bit last couple of weeks about Jason Aldean's song, Try That in a Small Town, which went to number one on the charts. Humorist named Remy wanted in on that, so he wrote, and we're about to play it, Try that in a large town. Take a listen to this
1: Despite the controversy, the song has gained popularity. Something
4: other musicians are keen to capitalize on. Open lemonade stand on the sidewalk. Go for a long walk in the middle of the night. Keep schools open so that kids can keep on learning. You think it's cool. Well act a fool if you like. Put someone's groceries in a bag. The doesn't immediately break Don't bake a penis cake We'll try that in a large town See how far you make it down the road Around here we're punishing our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't Try that in a large town Somebody's dropping trousers on your dizzies That stuff might fly in the country Good luck Try that in a large town See how far you make it down the road Around here we speed camera On you cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't Try that in a large town
0: All right, Remy, try that in a large town, courtesy of reason dot com. There's a uh another song out that uh, people are going crazy over, losing their mind. Uh Rolling Stone did a whole article uh about it. Um And by the way, what what the hell happened to Rolling Stone? Do they even like music anymore? Are they are they trying in any way, shape or form to be like countercultural or cool anymore, they, they've, become the, they've become like the most scoldy, puritanical, church lady, uh, just, so they they found out about a guy named Oliver Anthony, and he wrote a song and he sings it, uh, it's very stripped down, it's just, just basically acoustic. Uh, he sings this song called Rich Men North of Richmond, and it's really Uh, uh, like the Jason L. Dean song, it's kind of a commentary on what's going on, what, what, what we've got going on around us, what we see around us. It's not very similar, except that again, it's clearly through the eyes of a guy that doesn't like what he sees happening, what he sees on his screen. Let me play this for you. So this, and Don, you were able to clean up the, the language on this, right? There's a couple of words. Yes. We get them? Okay. This is, um, if you haven't heard it, this is Oliver Anthony. Rich men north of Richmond.
5: I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up. True, but it is all oh, it is living in the new world with hope Look out for miners And not just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the old beast milking welfare God, if you're five foot three And you're 300 pounds Taxes ought not to pay Young men are putting themselves Six feet in the ground Cause all this damn country does Is keep on kicking them down And then I don't think you know, but I know that you do. Because your dollar ain't and it's taxed to no end. Calls the Redsmen, don't the Redsmen.
0: It's like he's standing in his backyard or something. He's got a couple of dogs, and he's just singing this song. He says, by the way, that he... Um, He's a big Hank Williams uh, fan, Hank Williams Jr., uh, that he's pretty much centrist on politics, that both sides are, you know, a pox on both houses. Both sides serve the same master, and that master is no one good. Um, Rolling Stone really got fired up about the reference to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Um, what was the line? There's a, I mean... He, he takes the shot against welfare. I think we we lost a line there, Don, because there's a line there where he says, "If you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes shouldn't pay for your bag of fudge rounds." That somehow didn't make it um, in the edit. Um, and then he alludes to Jeffrey Epstein's island. Says, I "Wish politicians would look out for miners and not just miners on an island somewhere." Two different miners. Um, I guess what I'm I, I'm not asking you whether you know it's great music or not. I, I, You could like it or not like it. But when did it become scandalous to people like Rolling Stone magazine to, you know, sort of stir the pot? And this is the magazine that put the Boston Marathon bomber on their cover because they thought he was cute. Do you remember that? Joker Zanaev? How a popular, promising student was failed by his family, fell into radical Islam, and became a monster. And he looks like the kid picking your daughter up for a movie on Friday night. This is Rolling Stone. What What happened to them? Did they Did they disapprove of like Bruce Hornsby when he was singing songs like this? Remember Bruce Hornsby? Bruce Hornsby in the Range. That's just the way it is. Was Rolling Stone put out by that? That talks about the welfare line and cruel, the cruelty and the unfeeling rich and you, know, you don't get the people in the street. That's what this guy is singing about. When did concern about people that are having trouble making ends meet become some sort of right-wing hate speech? I thought you people on the left, I thought you owned that. I thought that was your thing. Maybe that's why they're upset because... They've kind of lost the thread of the conversation on that. I don't know what do you think about Oliver Anthony? Uh, he says he lives off the grid he's got his dogs and um he writes his own songs he's been doing it for a few years, but this is the one that's gotten the most attention. Rich men north of Richmond very stripped down it's not it doesn't sound it doesn't sound highly produced because it's not. He makes this music at home. I I don't know if the people in the the media elites or Rolling Stone, I I don't know if they've kept up, but even a troglodyte like me knows this. There are countless people making their own music these days. They're not quote-unquote rock stars. They don't have contracts or labels. But hello... Even the people that have those things aren't using them anymore, some of them. So there are people just, I know people like this. I know people exactly like Oliver Anthony. They they have a job, they, have, they pay their bills, and this is their passion. This is what they do when they have free time. When they get an idea, when they get a feeling, they write lyrics, they write music. They record it, they shove it up onto YouTube or whatever their platform is. Probably don't make much money or maybe any money. I know people that write music don't make a dime. They're happy as clams because they just like creating it. So he he comes out in an interview and says, I, I'm 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 centrist. The lyrics clearly say both sides are scum. And the headline in Rolling Stone is right wing influencers just found their new favorite country song. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I thought countercultural meant you were going up against the prevailing thinking. It's it's funny to watch people that used to be countercultural. Rolling Stone magazine at one time that's what they were. That's what they made their name as. No one was safe from their rapier pens and observations and reviews. Now they're like the guardians of, of the elite. And in a weird way, that makes today's left kind of conservative, lowercase c. What I mean by that is everything should stay just the way it is with them in charge. I mean, nothing will stay the way it is, right? But the one thing that they're absolutely committed to to locking down, locking in place, is who's in charge of it. There can be no questioning of that. There can be no challenging of that. I mean, if you wanted to say, well, I don't think the guy's production values are very good, or some of the lyrics are a little forced, no, that's not what they're saying. They're they're, they're threatened by the fact that right-wing people like this they call the allusion to Jeffrey Epstein's island a real, real head-scratcher. <laughs> Who doesn't understand that? Who doesn't get that line? It's probably the clearest line in the song. We were kind of you know, poking fun at the um, alarm with which Rolling Stone Magazine and, and numerous other media outlets uh, are greeting this guy, Oliver Anthony. He's so dangerous. Right-wing people like his music. Is it not obvious that all kinds of people are going through this economy? Like, you may be going to vote for Joe Biden. You may be going to vote for Donald Trump. You may be not sure who you're going to vote for or not even sure you're going to vote. You're buying food. You're buying gasoline. You're buying back-to-school clothes for your kids. That's, that's not just something conservatives are experiencing, right? It's interesting to me that those that claim to be the leaders and the the you know the journalists and the commentators and the big picture people they they greet every pushback, whether it's about economics, whether it's about the way our kids are educated. Uh, whether it's uh, about various agendas that are pushed on us, whether it's various hardships that people are going through. They view these things as right or left. That's the only way they can organize. It's like they, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I swear to God, they all have on their desk the right wing, left wing and everything gets thrown into one batch or the other. And I'm, you know what, I don't think I'm terribly, I have a very average IQ, I don't think I'm particularly perceptive, but it seems to me that the stuff he's singing about, you could listen to it and go, yeah, I'm experiencing that, or yeah, I know exactly what he means, and be a Democrat, be a a so-called self-described liberal. And the thing that's so interesting right now is that there are very few leaders in this, well, first of all, there are very few leaders, period. (laughs) Just stop right there. There's very few leaders that are trying to understand the true struggles that people have. There are a lot of people that are very interested in telling you what your problem is, and very few people that want to hear you tell them what what your problem is. So there's all these people saying, you know what you need, you need, but very few people that would say, tell me what's going on in your life, walk me through your day, what are you worried about? And we played the the clip of uh, CNN's John King bravely journeying, embedding himself into the heartland like it's a foreign country. We really are a foreign country. We are a faraway land to so many of these media people, and that's why they not only don't get Oliver Anthony, but they're they're a little bit freaked out that in just five days he had ten million views on YouTube. It's it's a conservative groundswell. It's a conservative anthem. It's a conserv- their conservatives are obsessing with it. Hmm. You you guys don't obsess about music. What what is the music that the left lionizes and gives awards to? What does that say about them? Would that would would they like me to define them? Should I define them and my complete understanding of them by Cardi B's WAP? I can't say the full title. That's oh, a work of art. You don't get it, Jack? You're just, I guess you just don't understand, okay? It doesn't take left or right or Republican or Democratic to understand that we've got, that things are out of sorts in this country. Whether you remember things before they got this way, whether you listen to an older person describe it, whether you read about it, whether you see it in a movie, Something has happened where power is too concentrated, where people are not trusted with their own decisions or even their own children. Every politician talks about the middle class, but most of them are erasing it. Every politician talks about the rights of women, but we're erasing them. Every time something happens in this country, prayers are called for, but the same people that call for prayers seem to hate God and certainly hate church, religion. The Ten Commandments might as well be graffiti scrawled on the side of a train. Oh, wait a minute, I take that back. That would be art. Ten Commandments aren't. And they call it Bidenomics like they're proud of it. Like, who'd want to put their name? I mean, look at what's going on. Who the hell would put their name on the way we're living right now? Who would say, I want my name associated with these prices, with what's happened to the paycheck? People are buying groceries with their credit cards. Not their debit cards. Let's call that Bidenomics. I, I I I'm blown away by that. If I was Joe Biden, the last thing I'd want to do, I'd scold anyone that used my name in connection with this economy. He's actually doing it. Even Reagan didn't call it Reaganomics. It's it's a moment. It really is. It's breathtaking to watch the complete lack of awareness of just how people are living. We make less, we pay more for everything. We're all experiencing that. It's not a right-wing thing. Unless only the right-wing can say it out loud. But I'm not even sure that's true. 210 599 You can be damn sure. You can, you can be damn sure that if the Republicans were in power right now and a guy came along out of nowhere and sang a song about how hard they were making it on people, he'd be on The View. He'd be on Good Morning America. He'd get hugs from Robin and George. I mean, you know, they, they just can't see because they just really don't know. They have to take field trips to meet people like us. And they come back as fast as they can. 210-599-5555. Um, Jake Tapper on CNN can be kind of a horse's ass. But I will give him credit. He seems to have an ear for and a heart for servicemen and women. And so they interviewed um, the lady, one of the ladies whose sons, one of the Gold Star mothers whose sons was uh, was killed in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. This is her um, testimony um, where she talks about the death of her son, cut number nine.
3: His concern began the moment that he landed and saw what he saw. His words were chaos, no communication, lack of leadership. Um, he said he'd never seen anything like it. And like I said, he was in Afghanistan two times before. He told me, Mom, I, I now know that the, com- the command cares nothing for us. My son, these 12 others left this earth thinking that their command cared nothing for them.
0: Miss Kelly Barnett. Um, He had her on over the weekend. I want to play that for you when we continue here. Uh, I got to say this, by the way. I was just thinking about this during the break. We, I could not do this show without the incredible talent of Don Cooper, our technical producer. All these little sound bites and audio pieces that you hear, that's all him. He uh, amasses them, assembles them, collates them, manages to figure out when and where I want them. Um, I send him a ton of stuff every day. They don't know this, Don. i got to tell them this. I send him all this stuff, and it's like I just dump it on his front lawn. You know? And he's like, well, what am I going to do? And he has to pull it apart and sort through it and figure out what goes with what. And it's, I, I, it is amazing. So thank you for everything you do. You're quite welcome there'll be nothing up. in your paycheck. I didn't think uh, so. Reflect that. I but, wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> it was like a puzzle uh, today, though. I have to admit, today was a lot. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it here. This was uh, a lot, and also I'm kind of out of my mind today. So, you. Uh, so we played the uh, we played the the testimony of Kelly Barnett, and um, Jake Tapper interviewed her, and she said something. I think really interesting that you don't hear very often in a cable news interview. Uh, listen to this, cut number ten. When
3: I first saw you know the text saying CNN wanted to talk to me, I was so happy. Um, where have y'all been? We need you, Jake. We need we need we need you. We need CNN. We need all the other networks to 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 voice our opinions, our our truths, and get it out there. We need the country to come together. Um, I I want justice for my son. He fought and he died for this country, not for conservatives, not for liberals. He fought for all of us. My job as his mom is to make sure that we come together and make sure this never happens again and that all of our voices, our truths are always able to be told and that we get to the bottom of this so, like I said, that it never happens again.
1: Yeah, no, we've been covering um, the story of the box withdrawal uh, since it happened, um, and uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, you have said that the Biden administration lied to you about what happened uh, that day. Tell us more about that. What did they tell you that was wrong?
3: Um, first off, they told me that my son died on impact, um, which is completely 100% false. He, um, he lived. He put a tourniquet on himself. He handed out his ammo to his men. Um, because, you know, gunfire is going off. Uh, so he, uh, you know, he did live for a little while.
0: I, I, and the whole thing is compelling, but when she says, where have you been, CNN? Where have you been, CNN? Like, you're, you're calling me now. Where have you been? Where have they been? Where have they been? I get tired of saying it, but... In the early days of CNN, that was how you you knew somebody was smart. That's how you knew somebody was paying attention, following what was going on. was was cosmopolitan. If you went in their house, they had CNN on. If you went in his hotel room, he had CNN on. This is somebody that's up with things. Where where have you been?
3: Where have y'all been? We need you, Jake. We need we need. We need you. We need CNN. We need all the other networks to to, to voice our opinions, our, our truths.
0: And, and this kind of goes with the Oliver Anthony conversation. Are you going to tell me that what she is saying, is that a Republican reaction? Is that a conservative reaction? Are we not able to say... Whether I voted for Biden or not, that was a disaster about which he's lied and apparently the military has lied to her. Now, I understand that there's something called fog of war, but I also understand that it it was 2021 and I don't think the people that lied to her about her son didn't know what had happened to him just like got it wrong, and we gotta revise that. I think they did know. How can we react to that as conservatives or liberals, or Democrats or Republicans? That's, That's an American thing. This is an American mom. She's talking about her son. And like she says, he didn't, he wasn't fighting a war for Republicans or a war for Democrats. And, and the the constant dividing or sorting of all of this, everything, by left and right, is not going to make everybody left or right. It's just going to make everybody presume that the people doing the sorting are, are idiots. You know? I mean, if you run out of money and you can't buy your kid, give your kid lunch money or, or, or make your kid breakfast for the rest of the week. I don't think you feel like a Republican or a Democrat. I think you just feel like a failed mom or dad. These are the things people are dealing with. And that's why I was asking the question earlier, to kind of come full circle. If you're running against President Biden, do you run against bad policies? Do you run against things that are dragging people down. Are 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 holding us back. We're not thriving. We're not we're not living to our full potential. We're not taking the best advantage of, of being Americans, and living in this this country. Or do you run that he's a bad person? Do you run that he's you know the corruption, the 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 hunter thing, the hair sniffing, the grandchild denying? I mean those things are all are all fair game, and they're all going to be in there and and I I get that this isn't beanbag it's politics but but it seems to me like the the vast majority of your time and your energy needs to be this is not good enough we can do better i can do better for you and and not just well he's a bad person he's evil he's corrupt his family is Corrupt. I'm not saying don't mention it. I'm saying that's the that that's I'd use I'd I do that about twenty percent of it. I'd make about eighty percent of it. These are the this is why you don't have the money. This is why your paycheck doesn't go as far. This is why in a country that doesn't need foreign energy, we are starving ourselves of energy as if we did need it. This is why. The power keeps going out on the West Coast. This is why you're being told in in X number of years you'll be required to buy a car that there's no way you can afford. And you're already being required to buy light bulbs there's no way you can afford. And pretty soon other things as well. Connect the way people are living with the policies you're running against. And then tell them what you will do. Simple, not Ideological Not Milton Friedman, just this is what we'll do that'll be different, it'll be better. I think that's what they gotta do. They gotta talk about it. Because all the Oliver Anthony's and Kelly Barnett's of the world are not waiting for, for a Republican. They're waiting for something better. They still believe there is something better.
4: All in a quick
0: Our theme music for many, many years, and we were on at night, two different times that we were on at night uh, with this uh, show, Into the Night, BB King. Uh, well, in this uh, last half hour, before we go into the night, we'll have um, the results on the JR poll question. Uh, do you think Republican candidates should be promising to pardon Donald Trump? Uh, some are saying they would, some are saying they would not, some are saying they haven't decided yet. Talk about that. Uh, We're going to check the Jack Chat line right here. It's uh, 210-599-5550. This is a place where you can leave a message that will play back on the show. Anytime uh, you want to call, just call 210-599-5550. Leave your first name, your city or town, and your comment on the Jack Chat line.
6: Hey, this is Alan in Spring Branch. Just Calling about the show today. One thing on the special counsel, I think what that does is it gives the special counsel the ability to write a report that they can give to Congress. Their report could say that that we've investigated this and we found nothing, no wrongdoing with Biden. So I think that's a a little bit added feature of the special counsel that uh, they have the ability to write the reports there for Congress. The other thing on the Trump indictments, you know, the crazy thing about them is like some of these indictments. I heard are from you know the eighteen hundreds that they just kind of go in and try to find some law that uh, that that they that they can use that you know, no one's been prosecuted with for a hundred years. So mm-hmm. I, I just think they're after the guy. I
0: think it was Stalin or one of his henchmen who said, uh, "Show me the man, and I'll show you the crime." Yeah, absolutely. By the way, there's a weird thing that happened today. Speaking of the Trump indictments, didn't have a chance to even get into this. So the the grand jury was meeting late this afternoon in Georgia. Uh, that's uh, Fonnie Willis's uh, grand jury that's that's getting ready to charge Trump with election interference, and the website for the courthouse briefly posted an indictment. So they showed a document, and it's been screen capped, and people have printed it. It it, it came down very quickly. But it made it look like, oh, he's already been indicted. Here are the charges. Even though the grand jury hasn't returned the indictments yet. That's like posting election results the day before the election. So we think the indictment in Georgia will be tomorrow. Uh, but again, the grand jury was still meeting, literally, at the same time that somehow uh, these documents briefly appeared. They were they were called unofficial, and their existence was denied uh by the uh, prosecutor, but there's no, I mean, they, you can you can look them up. You can see them. They were there. They look real. Um, all right, what's next on the Jack chat line?
6: Hi, Jack. This is Craig in Pipe Creek. Uh, I was just listening to your uh, news, I guess, report about the head of PG&E and can get more electricity from the electric cars. Um, I have a diploma on my wall admittedly an old one, 1973, it says I'm an electrical engineer. The head of PG&E clearly does not understand power generation, power transmission, uh, loss through lines, uh, battery life, etc. We are being led by people who, sadly, I think, think with emotions, not logic. And this is a clear example. Um, I just shake my head. It's very sad. Thanks, Jack.
0: Yeah, thanks, Craig. We had a story on Friday. The, the CEO, I think, or one of the top executives at PG&E said the way they're going to solve the uh, brownouts in California is people who are not driving their electric cars uh, but have them plugged in will return power to the grid. The cars will charge the grid while they're not being used <laughs> this is this is what they've come up with in california all right one more on the jack chat line
6: hey jack i was just calling on that um lady that commented on julio's in uvalde uh i used to live in uvalde i know the julio family everything um there is a very very good restaurant they have signature tacos in the morning it's um very nice place Another place in Uvalde that's really good is the Sunrise Cafe, which is located on west uh, West of Uvalde on um, Main Street. That's a very good place to eat too for lunch or breakfast.
0: I see. There's a man that was listening to the dish on Friday. I love that. I love having a little. Like a little piece of Friday broke off and floated into Monday. I like that. I like that. So hit the Jack Chat line anytime If you're listening and you can't call in live or you're listening to the podcast and you want to get in on the discussion, you, you still can, even though it's a podcast. 210-599-5550 uh, for the Jack Chat line. Speaking of restaurants, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I am sorry to hear it. Uh, did you hear Earl Abel's is finally closing for good? Earl Abel's is calling it a day uh, in one week. This is the last week of their Broadway location. Uh, the operator owner said they never really got over COVID, uh, or you know the the impact of COVID, I should say. Um, and uh, after 90 years, and they've moved a few different times, uh, they're they're closing it. They say they will look for a future opportunity. But this is a restaurant that in one form or another has been around since 1933. When I moved, well, when I came here to audition for the job that eventually brought me here at the other station, I think I've told this story before, but I, I came down, it was like September of 94. I came down and they, they put me in a hotel, they gave me a rental car, and I was really interested in driving around and just sort of getting a feel for the place. I'd never been here before. And I was at the, the hotel they put me at was over by the airport on Upper Broadway, outside 410. I forget which, it might have been a courtyard or one of those. So I was staying up there in the part of Broadway that's next to the airport. I got in the car. I'd started driving down Broadway because I'd seen the freeways. I'd been on the freeways, but I wanted to just drive around. I come down Broadway, I'm looking at things on Broadway, I recognize okay, I'm in Alamo Heights. They they've said Alamo Heights is historic and cool and and then I see Earl Abels. You remember how it looked there at the where that tower is now? Had that art deco kind of uh it's very eye catching. And I'm like, and I'm a I'm a sucker for a diner. You you show me a diner anywhere, I can't go past it. I can't. I go in there. I get the coffee. I have the meal. I have the pie, the the server, the waitresses. I, it's just it was so cool. I credit that experience with starting to like fall in love. Like, okay, I I think I want to live here. I mean, not live at our labels, but you know, live here. And um, I'll never forget that it was just it, because you you drive around. You know what I'm talking about. And you'd see a lot of chain restaurants, and you'd see they hadn't even built the quarry yet. You know, you'd see a lot of uh, what just looked like you could be anywhere, you know? And I was looking for things, and I kept looking, and I was finding this little hole in the wall, Mexican places and just different places, because that's what was going to make the difference. You know, you didn't want to be in just any town, right? And a place like Earl Abel's, they had it going on. I, I, I don't know enough about what happened to them to know if this was inevitable, but it's it blows my mind that you've got the pig stand closing, You've got Earl Abel's closing, but when I look at all the new restaurant concepts, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't everybody trying to make their restaurant look like it's been around forever? Isn't everybody trying to make their restaurant look kitschy and retro and diner? I mean, it's a big, big thing. So if you actually have that, how are you not making it? How are you not making that work? I, and again, I'm not. I don't mean this is an attack. I just it's it's kind of um, a mystery to me. Just as a as a guy that goes to restaurants, I don't know anything, but like that seems like you'd have an you you, you really have an advantage if you have a history, if you can appeal to people that maybe are new to San Antonio and go, hey, th- you're not just you're not just at any place here. You're at a place with a story, with a history. Because other guys are pretending to that. You know, they're buying stuff and hanging it on the walls to make the restaurant look old and you really have all that. And they somehow can't keep the doors open. So I'm sure they'd be very interested in my input. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm sure they're very very interested to hear the opinion of a know nothing that just eats. J.R. poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Should Republican candidates be promising to um pardon? if elected president, obviously, uh, promising to pardon Donald Trump. Currently, Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley have said they probably would, or would. Uh, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchison have said they would not. And everybody else is not really committed one way or the other. Uh, should Do you think they should? 71% say no. 29% say yes. I I agree. I would I would definitely say no. Um first of all, you by by talking about a pardon, you're convicting him. Um and secondly, either Donald Trump will be the nominee of the Republican Party or he won't be. If he is, then everything that comes with him obviously goes into the the mix. But if you Vivek Ramaswamy or Ron DeSantis or you know Nikki Haley or whoever, if you become the nominee, you don't want to run. You don't want to run with with Donald Trump around your neck any more than they will make him around your neck. So yeah, I don't. I don't know why anybody would go, would go out and say that. It seems crazy. Um, before we go here, a couple of other uh, little items. This you're going to think I'm making this up. Native American group calls on Washington commanders to rename Team Redskins. (laughs) I mean, a Native American group, the Native American Guardian Association, circulating a petition, quote, designed to promote our history, put an end to cancel culture, and reclaim the name Redskins. They have hashtag reclaim the name. They claim they have 180,000 signatures. And their argument, which is one people made at the time that the Washington Redskins became the Washington Commanders, their argument is, you're erasing us. You are taking us out of the history books. You are airbrushing us out of the American story. This uh, NAGA says this is not a left versus right issue. They want... I can't imagine it, right? I mean, I, 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 I like what they're saying, but I can't see the NFL... Going back to that, I, I really can't. See, the thing is, not only can you never give in enough to the woke mob, there's never, like, enough ground you've conceded to, like, keep them at bay, but you also can't revisit your decision. They're not, uh, that's, not that's not allowed. Speaking of football, um, a photo of Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray has gone uh, viral uh, wearing... Uh, what appears to be a sports bra, the photo uh, going viral on X, formerly known as Twitter, while he was participating at a team practice uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. What appears to be a sports bra is described by the company that made it as um, support a support vest. Okay, um... It may be called a sports, it may be called a support vest, but it looks like Kyler Murray is wearing a sports bra. And believe me, if you see it, there will be no unseeing it.